Good morning, everybody. Welcome to GBC. It is a joy to worship alongside y'all and with you. Um, thanks so much for being here. Before we jump into our text today, I wanted to make a quick announcement on Hilltop Adventures. Hilltop Adventures, if, if you're new or just have missed it, is a, a nonprofit that we have started basically to export a lot of the disciple-making uh, tools that we've developed at Grace Bible Church that we think are, are really helpful for our congregation, and we, we want to give them to, to other churches as well. And Hilltop's also kind of the vehicle by which we're hosting all the kayak trips that I'm endlessly talking about. Uh, we'll, we'll do some other types of trips as well. But things are going great. Basically, the reason I'm talking to you about Hilltop today is we're, we're setting our summer schedule for next year. We're going to have trips in May, June, July, August, and September. If, if you are interested in going on one of those trips, would you email me. I can't guarantee that you're emailing me. Well, you know, there'll be a spot because there are limited spots, but I'd love to know who's interested. And so if you can email me, that would really help us in our planning for next summer, west at gbchouston.org. And, um, and also we have a website and that was a long time coming. It's, it's hilltopadventures.org. So if you, you want to go see more about it, you're welcome to go look at on that, but not now because I'm going to be preaching and that, that'd be bad. Okay. So file it away, look at it later. Let me pray, and we will turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. Bow your heads with me. Lord, thanks for this morning and for the, the joy of being able to sing songs about Christmas, but really, Lord, about the incarnation, about the demonstration of your love for us, that you would send your perfect son to live an impeccable life uh, near us, that we might know you, and to die a sinner's death, that sinners like us might be forgiven of our sins and redeemed and empowered and mobilized to be participants in your kingdom. God, that is such an honor and such a joy. I, I pray that we would know more of that honor and joy as we look at 1 Corinthians 15 today and, and that we, as we examine the implications of the resurrection. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you have probably heard the expression identity politics. Some of you probably have a, a good impression of it. Some of you have a, a bad impression of it. Uh, identity politics is basically uh, political agendas rooted in, in a specific identity. So me as like a, a white guy um, has an identity and, and there's political kind of agendas that, that are common to me as, as a white guy with, with other white guys, or, or maybe as, as a bald guy. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but like, we're the victims here, okay? <laughs> so anyway, identity politics is kind of a parasite on, on something called identity sociology. Identity sociology over the last 20 or 30 years has, has really grown, and basically identity sociology is the idea that, that you as a specific type of person can, can only see the world and understand the world through a lens based on your identity. So, so again, me, like as a, as a white man who's, who's old and bald, I've got a lens through which I'm going to see the world. And, and unless you're a white man who's old and bald, you're not really going to be able to understand the world like I understand the world. So it, it, it kind of delineates different lenses through which different types of people see the world. There might be some utility to that, but I think in light of the fact that it has become so popular, it's probably healthy to remember that, that humans have some deep longings that everyone shares in common. 
So there are some universal deep longings, and it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or brown. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you have hair or you don't have hair. Like, everyone has these universal longings. I'd like to share a few of them with you, if I might. Some universal longings held by everyone. How about this? Everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what type of background, no matter what type of ethnicity you come from, everyone longs for their lives to count, for, for significance, right? I mean, I, male or female, rich or poor, black or white, it doesn't matter. We all want our lives to matter. We, we all want to live significant lives. Now, there are a lot of different ways to define or even pursue a life of significance. Some of them are terrible. That's not, that's not the sermon today. You might have the wrong ideas of what significance is. What I'm talking about is that we all desire to live significant lives. One of my favorite quotes of all time an anonymous New Tribes missionary, it's a mission organization, he said, My greatest fear is not failure, my greatest fear is succeeding at something that doesn't matter. I mean, that is so good, y'all. My greatest fear is not failure. My greatest fear is succeeding at something that doesn't matter. Insignificance. You can succeed at something that is insignificant. So that's one of the universal longings. We all long for our lives to count. We all long for significance. Here's another one. Tell me if you disagree with this. We all long to have faith, an absolute faith. We're not talking about faith in Jesus here. We just want to have an absolute faith in the thing for which we stand. Isn't that true? I mean, whatever you're about, you you don't want it to be a thing. You want it to be the thing, right? And, And you want it to be significant. Like all of us desire that the one thing that we're about, we want it to be the thing that matters the very most in the world. That that's related to significance, but it's it's actually where we put our focus. We we don't want to say this is a big deal. We want to say This is the deal. I think sometimes salesmen kind of get a a bad rap, like lawyers do sometimes. But salesmen oftentimes get get a bad rap kind of as a a, snake oil salesman, or they're they're just trying to sell you something that that isn't really that significant or or worthy. But, But what about if you're a salesman and you would genuinely believe that what you are selling or what you are giving away is going to really enhance people's lives. Like what, what a noble profession that would be that, that you are trying to convince people to, to buy or to take something that will measurably enhance their lives. That, that's a wonderful thing. That's kind of what we're talking about. We, we want to know that the thing that we're about is the deal. Like it's really important and we're passionate about it. Y'all probably know if you've been here for very long, I've kind of hitched my wagon to disciple making. Like for 30 years, I've been all about mobilizing the priesthood of believers and and trying to get you to do the work of ministry. And and every morning when I wake up, I've got to remind myself of the significance of that calling. Like I, I, I go back to the Great Commission almost every morning and I'm like, look, Jesus said in the Great Commission, it's called the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, boy, that matters. That's that's significant. And so I get up every morning, and I'm pretty excited because what I have to do 
in little or great ways is significant. It, it's the thing, not just a thing. That's a universal desire. We, we all want the thing that we're about to be the thing. Another, another thing that I think is universally desired, we all long for freedom, don't we? Now, you might go, well, that's just an American deal. I get that there's a constitutional provision for, for freedom, and, and I'm all for that, by the way, but I don't, I don't care where you come from. Everyone wants freedom. It might not be the way the United States defines freedom, but, but everyone wants freedom. And that's got to be true, right? Because if there isn't freedom, everything else that is good in your life really just exists to distract you from the bondage in which you live. Like the, the absence of freedom is bondage, and there can be good things in your life, but how good are they if they don't give you freedom? So I think everyone desires freedom, especially as we think of it in, you know, relationship to bondage. The last thing that we'll talk about that I think is universally desired, we long for permanence, don't we? I, I want you to think about that. A knowledge that we exist for something greater than this moment. Permanence. Hey, some people might call it legacy. Some people might call it a life that is transcendent, but it's all the same stuff. We all, we all want to contribute to something that is greater than this moment and greater even than our lives. We, we want permanence. We want legacy. I want you to keep in mind those universal desires. I, I think as I describe them, all of you are probably like, yeah, I do, I do want those things. might not think about it every day, but now that I do... That's, that's important stuff. I want you to think about that and just hold on to it. We're going to look at now 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This is going to be Paul's way of introducing our text today. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, like I said, this is a good introduction for Paul's main point today. The Corinthians, just so you know, are not denying Christ's resurrection. They are denying the fact that they one day will be resurrected. And, and Paul's going to talk about that later, but today what he's going to do is he's going to say, if there's no resurrection from the dead, well, that means that Jesus couldn't have resurrected from the dead. If there's no resurrection, then even Jesus wasn't resurrected. And basically, our passage today, verses 14 through 19, is going to say, and if Jesus wasn't resurrected, and here's the consequences. So, so this is going to be a peek down a dark hole of a faith and an unresurrected Jesus. Verses 14 through 19, if you're wondering, I'm not sure this applies to me, I promise you it's going to apply to you. Listen closely. Verse 14 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. He's kind of reiterating his earlier point. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If you were paying attention, that's super depressing. Just, just like, if you're, if you're like, I'm not even sure what I was said. Summary, it's depressing. Okay, that, that's the bottom line. Knowing what we know about faith in a Jesus that didn't resurrect then, how wonderful is it to get to verse 20, which says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is, in fact, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So what we're getting at is, let's look at a faith in Jesus if he didn't resurrect, like some of the Corinthians would have to believe. And now let's look at a faith in Jesus who is a resurrected king. But, but let's first look at the if not. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So here's what we have so far. Without the resurrection, my preaching, Paul's preaching, and, and your faith are all in vain. All in vain. It's going to go on in verse 17 to say that our faith, like our faith in Jesus, is futile. Now, you might be wondering, what does it mean that, that a faith would be in vain or a faith would be futile? I'm, I'm glad you asked. The, the word for vain is kinos, and it means empty. It means hollow, lacking substance or power. In, in Texas, a, a person who is vain is, is all hat, no cattle. They just, like, he might look good on the outside, but there's nothing there. That's vain. Your, your faith is all hat, no cattle. The word futile is similar to vain, but, but it has an all-for-naught silliness idea associated with it. it it's, it's like chasing the wind. Like, how effective are you going to be if you are chasing the wind? If, if you are chasing your shadow? Every time you move, your shadow is moving. You, you'll never catch your shadow. It's, it's an all-for-naught silliness. It's, it's an exercise in futility is why it's translated futile. That's faith in a Jesus who didn't resurrect. It's a faith that is vain. It's a faith that is futile. Here's why I think this matters. Every Sunday morning when I wake up, my alarm goes off and my first thoughts are, are pretty dark. They are. My, my first thought is, I'm not worthy to get up to preach. I, I have to preach the gospel to myself before I get out of bed every Sunday morning, literally every Sunday morning. It's hard. My second thought when I'm being attacked is that my words that I've prepared to give all week simply aren't going to matter. Like, either you're going to get bored and you're going to check out, or maybe worse, you'll be entertained, you'll grow in your understanding of things about God, but it won't convert to life transformation. It's, it's going to make big heads, but no transformation of allegiance or love for God such that your lives would glorify God. 
And so this would just be a big exercise in futility. Those, those are the battles that I have to fight every Sunday. Now, here are the battles that you have to fight every day. The, the lie that empowers all the temptations that you face are basically going to be that the fight for whatever it is for God's glory to resist your sin, to resist your flesh, they're not going to be productive. Like you're going to just continue to have to fight that fight and, and the, the temptation's never going to go away and you're never going to grow through it and, and you're always going to be stuck in the same person that you are. And in that about futility, it is. It, it's, it's about vanity and it's about futility. My, my preaching would be vain and, and foolish and, and your lives lived under the glory of God, vain and foolish and, and nothing ever gets better. Better. And that's why I love verse 20. Because the resurrection happened, our, our lives aren't vain and futile. Our, our lives, in fact, are well-founded. Our lives, in fact, count. They, they matter. There, there is significance there. We all long for our lives to count in Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is your life counts. Your life matters. Because of what Jesus did, your life matters. It, this is answering one of our deepest longings. And, and it's not because we do it, it's because Christ has done it on our behalf. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. Ultimately, what verse 15 is saying is without the resurrection, we have a gospel that ultimately needs embellishing. Like, it's like a woman who needs makeup. You know, this is one of the great mysteries in life. And let me acknowledge who I am. I'm a, a 54-year-old guy who has historically been very slow to understand women. Okay? So I don't speak as an expert. I, I speak mostly as a nincompoop. But... Here's one of the great mysteries of life, and I would love for someone after this sermon to explain it to me. All girls want to wear makeup. That in and of itself is curious, because I don't think guys particularly love makeup, so why do they wear it? But follow me on this. All girls want to wear makeup. No girls want their boyfriends to pick them up for a date and ask them to go put on more makeup. Isn't that fair? Like, you, you all want to go wear makeup, but if, if the doorbell rings and you're going to open the door for your date who is coming to the door to pick you up, and men, that's what you should do. Yeah, like, if, if you open the door and he looks at you and goes, hey, um, we've got a few minutes before our dinner reservation. Why don't you go back into your dressing room and, and, and do a little something here? How's that date going to go? Like, no, like, all girls want to wear makeup, but the last thing that a girl wants is for her boyfriend to say, oh, would you go put on a little bit more makeup? I mean, like, the whole thing is a mystery. It's true. I should move on, shouldn't I? Here's my point. There is a point. Without the resurrection... The disciples have a religious leader in Jesus who needs makeup, who, who needs embellishment, who, who needs a makeover. Like he, 
He said he was God. He said he was going to die and he was going to resurrect. And, and so if the resurrection doesn't happen and they want people to believe in him, they've, they've got to fake the resurrection, right? Because God doesn't stay dead. And, and if he does, he's not a God worth worshiping. But because of verse 20, which says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, adding, and this is my point, adding to the gospel story, anything, adding anything to the gospel story actually takes away from the story. And, and, and don't Christians try to do that, by the way? Don't we go out into the world semi-ashamed of the, of the gospel? And so we, we try to doctor it up. We, we try to couch it in, in a bunch of emotional manipulation and, and, and we try to set a mood and we're trying to prop the gospel up and the gospel doesn't need any propping up. The gospel is glorious as it is. Like God has created something that we can't add to. It's like a six-year-old being asked with finger paints to touch up the Mona Lisa. That's what we end up doing. Like the gospel is absolutely glorious. It stands on its own merit. Have you understood that? That a resurrected king is worth living for? You don't have to add anything to it. A resurrected king is worth fighting for. A resurrected king is worth our, our greatest devotion, our, our greatest joy. Our resurrected king transcends like all the difficult circumstances in your life that would cause you to sulk. There is a joy for us because of the resurrection. It's hard to describe, but that does not mean it's not true. I think we all want to believe in something, and we want to believe that the something is most significant, not just significant, that it matters most. And what God has given us in a resurrected king is a gospel that matters most. Let's talk about freedom for a second. We, we talked that, that the human condition, everyone wants freedom. If, if it's bondage or freedom, everyone's going to pick freedom, right? And all the blessings that you might have in your life, if they are not accompanied by freedom, they simply exist to distract you from the bondage in which you live. Let's talk about freedom. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. We've talked about that. And you are still in your sins. So without the resurrection, there's enslavement to sin. When, when the text says you are still in your sins, you are still under condemnation by the righteousness of a holy God. Like you, you have not balanced the scales at all. And you are enslaved to your sin. You are under condemnation. That is the antithesis of freedom. Absolutely. There's no freedom without resurrection. Forgiveness of sins, on the other hand, by a perfect and holy God, that is the ultimate freedom. Like, what bondage is there if we are free in Christ? If, if the creator of the universe has said, not guilty because Jesus bore your sins upon the cross, like, that is the ultimate freedom. I want you to know that a lot of people who are living in bondage they strive for many things 
in an attempt to distract themselves from their bondage. And and let me press that a little bit. Some of you are trying to make tons and tons of money. And I don't think there's anything wrong with making a lot of money, but but here's what I want to challenge you with. You can make tons and tons and tons of money, and if there is not a resurrection, you're still a slave to sin. Nothing's really changed. You've just figured out how to buy a boat that will momentarily distract you from your bondage. You, you can be a philanthropist. I mean, you, you can be a pillar in the Houston community. You can give millions to hospitals and whatever else it is. And, and people in this city might think so well of you. But if there is not a resurrection, you are still an enemy of God. That, that's what Paul is saying here. Like, Christ has done something that we cannot do for ourselves. The resurrection of Jesus demonstrates the veracity of Jesus' claim to deity. And therefore, because he is deity, he is God, his death is therefore not just a sacrifice, it is the ultimate sacrifice. And it doesn't cover just a number of finite sins. It covers infinite sacrifice and infinite number of sins. And that is our hope for freedom and forgiveness. Freedom comes, then, from the resurrection. Let's talk about permanence. Isn't permanence something that we all want, that we want legacy, we want transcendence? That, that's part of the human condition. Let's, let's talk about permanence, something that we all long for. Verse 18 then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So, so if Christ has not been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, people who believed in Jesus but who have passed away from this physical life, they have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Without the resurrection, when the people that you love die... They're just gone. That's what verse 18 says. They're they're just gone. Wah, wah, wah. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, if if we, based on an atheistic worldview, are, you know, the, the progeny of primordial sludge, and... Ultimately, our final destination is to be the food of worms. You tell me how the stuff in between is significant. We come from insignificance. We go to insignificance. Any significance then from that worldview here is contrived. That's, that's, that's all there is to it. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17 says, come now, you who say we will go to this or that city, spend a year there and make money. You don't know what your life holds. Your life is like a mist here today and then vanishing. So, so physical life, according to James, is like a mist that vanishes. Now, I, I'm not an expert on mist. I don't think you probably are either. Like there's, you know, there's, there's no experts on that. But I think we can all agree, myths don't leave legacies. Fair? That's, that's not a big stretch. They're here for a moment. Like, 
when, when the mist leaves, you're like, oh, I'm glad the mist is gone. And that's it. You don't think again about the mist. But with the resurrection, our lives are more than just the physical mist. And, and death isn't just my loved one's gone forever. Death is commencement for a Christian. If you're in Christ and you die a physical death, you go to heaven. You, you are in the presence of the Lord. That, that's graduation. That there is hope in that. There, there is joy in that. And, and here's the deal. This is what I want you to understand. The, the permanence of eternity, especially eternity with King Jesus, who is a resurrected king, that dignifies the now. We, we back that up into significance today. It's, it's not just a significant eternity. It's a significant now because of a significant eternity. That, that's worth smiling about, y'all. That rejoice in that truth. If there is nothing after this life, you know what this life is? It's a looter's paradise. Like, You've seen like looters on TV when somebody like wins a, a basketball game and all of a sudden a, a city goes crazy and they're breaking the windows of a Dick's Sporting Goods. Everyone's running in and like grabbing shoes and stuff. That's what this life would be. Like just grab what you can now because there's no significance later. Like just take what you can. I'm not making this up. That's what verse 31 says. Verse, I'm sorry, verse 32. Verse 32, if we're going ahead, and y'all probably remember that there was a little criticism leveled on me a few weeks ago for, I don't know, it, it's, it's kind of rehashing a, a sermon. I, I kind of built upon Daniel's foundation, and he, he noted it. You notice that? So, this, this is a pre-hashing. <laughs> Daniel's preaching next week. It's going to be a great point that you're going to get to hear again. <laughs> Verse 32, if the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection of Jesus, if there is no resurrection for us then because Jesus was the first fruit of our resurrection, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Isn't that a looter's paradise? Go crazy. Because we are consumed with insignificance. So just do what you want. Live as a slave to your own selfish indulgences because nothing matters. Unless there's a resurrection. Unless there's a resurrection. But with a resurrected king to follow, not just now but forever, we realize that we've been entrusted as stewards with something that is eternal something that is secure, something that is even transformational. Like what a privilege to carry this gospel to a world that desperately needs this gospel. I've done a good number of funerals in my 30-year pastoral career. They're, they're, never, they're never really fun, but I'll tell you this. Knowing that a brother or sister in, was in Christ and as, as we lay that person you know, in a casket and bury it, knowing that that person is with Jesus, it, it doesn't take away the sadness because we will miss that person. 
But I promise you, there is a joy to be had. Partly because we hope in a reunion that one day will come, that will exist for eternity. But partly because our hope insists that our lives live today as as those who have been left behind by those who have gone ahead. Our lives are not just a pitiful mist. Like there is something that awaits us. There, There is a destination, not just a disappearance. I promise you want that. And I promise it is by the resurrection that you gain that. So you can't have forgiveness without a crucifixion. You can't be sure of it without a resurrection. You can't have an eternal king who died for sins (coughs) without a resurrection either. Like, we follow a living God. We have both. That's cause to celebrate, y'all. So we're going to turn our attention now to communion. And I want you to spend a couple of minutes. If you need to confess sin, do so. Mostly, I want you just to spend some time celebrating Jesus. I want you to thoroughly enjoy the security that we have, the privilege that we have to live with dignity and purpose in the now because eternity is secure. And and I want you to just enjoy that time with Jesus. When you hear the musicians begin to play, come row by row to receive the elements. First the cup, I'm sorry, first the bread, then the cup. Take them back to your seats with you. And once everyone has been served, we will partake of the elements together. But spend this time enjoying the resurrection. Uh, Certainly the crucifixion and, and the broken body and the shed blood. But it loses steam. It loses impact. If he doesn't also resurrect, that we might follow him and follow him forever. Pray now and enjoy.